Because it's one thing to have a belief that everyone should be the same, should be equal, should be included. It's another to look around and go, but why aren't we? Why isn't that how things are? And what are the things that I'm participating in that are keeping that going? This is Down to Earth Conversations, where we hear from ordinary people who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Kia ora. welcome to another episode of Down to Earth Conversations with me, your host, Andy Dixon. It's Celebration Central here at the moment in the Dixon Whanau. Uh, since the last episode, in partnership with Etu Tangata, uh, we have officially released the book I wrote, Three Things to Know, an Etu Tangata Story. It's such a privilege to have partnered with such a great organisation, and it's already blowing my mind at where this is popping up around the motu. Uh, just a couple of days ago, in fact, legendary New Zealand children's entertainer Susie Cato posted a video to her YouTube channel of her reading the book. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. If you're interested in checking that out, I'll pop the link in the show notes and also the link to where you can get your own copy. And if you'd like to hear the episode that inspired me to write the book, go and check out episode 39 with Jay Geldard. The other reason for celebration is that the day this episode has come out is in fact my birthday. Uh, And more than just being another celebration of a trip around the sun, I was just thinking about how two years ago I'd planned this big 40th celebration, as you do, uh, but my mental health deteriorated to the point where uh, Bex came into the lounge and found me in the fetal position on the couch bawling my eyes out because I just, I couldn't cope with this idea of the party. Uh, And so Bex took my phone and messaged everyone to say that the party was off, which was such an incredible gift because I didn't have the strength to do that myself. Uh, And it's looking back at moments like that that actually gives me hope because I had some support in that hard time and because this year I'm in a much more healthy space. And so next time I found myself in that less healthy space, uh, I'll be able to remember that things can and do change. So if you're in that hard space... Kia kaha, uh, keep going, things can and do change. So anyway, I thought that this being my birthday, why not give you a bit of me as a gift from me to you? So I invited the incredible Tash McGill to take over the podcast and put me in the hot seat, taking it wherever she wanted to take it, and she does just that. Tash is a broadcaster, podcaster, creative, storyteller, writer and strategist, She works in business transformation, especially within the food, beverage, hospitality industry, and she's chairperson of the New Zealand Whiskey Association, recently being named a finalist in the Spirits Communicator category of the prestigious International Wine and Spirits Competition. On top of all that, she hosts a podcast called The Transformationist, talking to people who are transforming the spaces that they occupy, so definitely go and check that out. We talk about creating yourself rather than finding yourself, about changing our minds on theology and life, baggy jeans and oversized football jerseys, and being a white male in a world of white male privilege, as well as exploring how and why my new book came about. I hope you enjoy hearing a bit more from me. This is episode 57 of Down to Earth Conversations. Here's Tash McGill taking over. (laughs) 
so f- first things first, Namahi for your work on this podcast, Andy. Um, I, you know, as a fellow podcaster, I understand the amount of work that goes into it. And then I also understand the enormous amount of courage it can be to give somebody else control of the microphone and direction of the story that you're telling. So at risk of it sounding somewhat selfish um, or somehow self-obsessed, I'd like to understand why you asked me, what was it that you thought? Is there a, is there, is there a line of questioning or curiosity that you thought, yeah, a conversation with Tash will take us to this place. These will be the corners of the mind that we will explore. I guess when I've heard you talk to people, um, it's just been like you are prepared to chase rabbits down holes and, you know, let the conversation kind of go where it goes, which Mm. I really like. And um, you also seem to have a knack of going, oh, that's an interesting point that people might want to hear more about. Let's let's go that way. Um, As opposed to here are my set questions that I'm going to. Mm-hmm. black through and and we'll get through that like a business transaction so um so that was part of it and then yeah just um I like your style all right well in that case uh thank you and uh let's go let's go pursue some curiosity and some curious questions I think one of the things that um is interesting to me when I look back over the history of our knowing of each other uh, and various spaces in which we have shared moments of life and journey together um it goes all the way back to calling Elijah yeah. days and uh, and music and involvement around that aspect of um, of the scene, particularly being that Christian music scene. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so I'm, but here's one of the things I think is interesting about that. So I'm going to dive straight in to what I think is going to be some curious questions and one particularly gnarly question that I that I want to ask you. Um, the first is, uh, you were, and you you you've mentioned this and talked about it. You in the days of calling Elijah, you were um, you were a straight white male rapper. Yeah. Uh, at a time when that was semi-acceptable along certain style and genre lines. And I think it's really interesting to examine and to understand, particularly now, 20 years on, with a lens of, with a sharper lens of um, what cultural appropriation uh, we look out for, how we navigate spaces of, um, of third-way culture, I'm interested in your reflections of that time in your life in yeah, comparison th- to where you are now. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think um, it took a long time. Like once I realized that actually rapping was something I really enjoyed doing, it took a long time to find me in it um, because all the role models of people who were out there rapping tended to be, well, particularly in the hip hop scene, were people who didn't look like me, who didn't sound like me, who had a different life than me. And so there was that thing of, well, maybe I need to become more like them. So, you know, trying to dress more like they dress, you know, and I went through that phase of going, oh man, like I need, I need an MC name, you know, I I need a name that's not Andy um, because Andy's not going to cut it kind of thing. (laughs) And, um, and I mean, in the end, I just ended up being Andy D because that, you know, that was easier to say. Um, and it was also me. Uh, 
but yeah, I think like I went through that phase of, you know, huge baggy jeans and, um, American football jerseys that were like double XL and I'm only like five, seven, um, not even five, seven, I'm five, six. Um, and yeah, so, so went through all of that, went through trying to sound American, um, because you know, the, the successful rap groups sounded American. So that, that was really interesting. Um, and then I guess within a New Zealand context, most of the people rapping were Maori Polynesian. And so then there was a case of, well, do I need to try and be more like that too? Um, and so, yeah, I guess I tried and all of that failed because that's just not me. So it was a case of going, actually, what is, what is my sound? You know, how does, how, am I, how can I be authentically me and, and do this thing? And I guess calling Elijah helped mold that a little bit because we ended up not being a hip hop group or a hard rock group or, a, you know, any, any of the other kind of common genres. We were acoustic rap rock which was two guys with acoustic guitars, one of whom sounds like Matchbox 20, um, you know, Nickelback kind of raspy rock voice, but with an acoustic guitar, and then me doing sort of rhythmical poetry. That, Like, I look back on it now and go, it really is rhythmical poetry that I was doing. Um, mm. And, you know, I've gone on to do spoken word poetry, and it's actually not a heck of a lot different. You know, mm. it's it's actually like the the reason that I got interested in it in the first place, the the wordsmithing and everything, you know, that's still the same. It's just, you know, now I'm using it without a beat and without an acoustic guitar and, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I guess looking back on it, it, it was it was a necessary exploration to find out that it's okay to be me. <laughs> what role do you see that... Uh identity adoption and adaption playing in the lives of younger people around you now that you are you know a few years further on from that experience and obviously you know you're a parent so you'll see that uh emerging with your own children yeah I mean the, it's really obvious with my own kids even at only age nine and ten the need to be like someone else or, you know, it's it, other people have got this, I want to be like that. You know, even mm. if at the moment, one of the things is when are we going to get mobile phones? Because you know, <laughs> everyone, everyone else has got them. And it's like, man, this is a parenting thing that, uh, you know, my parents didn't have to face. Um, but trying to figure out, well, what, what do we do with that? Uh, but also just seeing, I guess, young people in general, um, wanting to find their own voice, you know, wanting to find who they are. And I think there's a lot of them that are finding that out by doing what I did, which is, well, there's a little bit of me that is authentically this thing. So where can I see that thing? Oh, I can see it over there. Now I need to make myself completely like that. Mm, mm. Um, I think in some ways, I think it's a, a journey we all go on. Um, it's just some are more public than others. Um, mm, mm. You know, some it's, some of us do it on stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. And look, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you advance warning that I want to talk about stage and platform. Mm. Um, but first, uh, one of the things that I think is interesting to me, my love and and 
understanding and kind of ongoing exploration of brain development, particularly adolescent brain development, and how aspects of identity formation are related to the way that that the adolescent brain is transforming um, has always been fascinating to me. And one of the really important processes of that um, identity formation and also individuation is the way in which, um, particularly through later adolescence, um, we have uh, we all have to one degree or another a tendency to adopt certain aspects of identity that we see in other people mm. and try them on for size until we find something that fits. And I think that's really interesting. Um, I read something uh, just a couple of days ago that said uh, advice I would give to my younger self, don't go finding yourself. Remember that we create who we are. Yeah. And I think that's such an interesting transition from the early days of our knowing of each other and how in different respects we've probably both gone on that journey of um, less adopting or trying on aspects of identity and more uh, creation of yeah. our own uh, individuality and our own expression of that um, in ways that are meaningful. But it's that aspect of expression which brings me to my uh, my my big first tough question of the interview. Um, for you, I think it's natural to look for external expression of the inner reflection, the inward journey, the inner creativity. It makes sense to me having known you as an artist um, and a performer um, for you to have a podcast because it's an ongoing external expression of the thoughts and the journey and, yeah. you know, those aspects. But here's a question that I have been stuck on for a while, uh, and I think that you will maybe have some um, some wisdom to throw into it, which is why do so many straight white men think that they're entitled to platform when they learn yeah. something new or when they think they've discovered expertise? And why does it particularly happen so much in contexts of faith? Yeah. Well, I, I think the first part of that is simply that that's what's role modeled. You know, that people like me, you know, white males, straight white males, grow up seeing other straight white males platformed and having an opinion and having a voice and being listened to. You know, not just that they're there, but they're actually being listened to. And I think that then feeds into, well, actually, people will listen to me. You know, that, that I've got something to say and people will listen. And I don't know, maybe there, there are others who, who aren't straight white males who don't see that same platforming. And I think it is getting better. You know, that we are starting to see more of a mix in the media or, you know, even the fact that podcasting exists has created a whole lot of people who wouldn't normally have had a voice who now have a voice. But I think that that's kind of a big part just in terms of a cultural thing is that I grew up, you know, you watch the news and there was just white males everywhere, um, TV presenters, politicians, just everywhere there were white males having a say and being listened to. Um, you take that into the church then, and it's kind of that on steroids in some way because it's that plus religious beliefs to support why that's good. Mm. You know, I, I grew up in church in a church where women weren't allowed to speak. 
which is one of the reasons I'm pretty feminist now. You know, I, <laughs> I try and push the female voice where I can um, and, uh, and you know, try and step aside at times so that I'm not the voice that's being heard. Mm. Um, and that's one of the things I love about the podcast is that, yes, it's my podcast, but I'm actually using the platform that I have to give other people's voices a chance to be heard. Um, and some of them are getting heard anyway, but actually, you know, it's just more people hear them. Um, and some of them have never had a chance to kind of share what they're doing or, you know. Um, but I think in that church setting, you know, we've had a history in the Western church particularly of um, of m white male-dominated leadership. And again, if you grow up in a church seeing all of the important roles being done by white males, then what does that say to you if you're not that? You mm. know, um, mm -hmm. For me, it said, there's a pathway here for you. But for a lot of people, it doesn't say that. Um, it says, actually, you need to listen to these people because they're the ones who know what they're talking about. Or, mm. you know, all that kind of stuff. So I think, I mean, it's... It's it's a nasty kind of collision of colonization and religious belief and appropriation and a whole bunch of other things that have all come together. And, you know, I think in the end it's not wrong that that white males have a platform, but it shouldn't be more of a platform than any other group. Mm, um, mm, mm. It, it should be an, a shared thing. The fact that it's not means that actually those of us who are white males have a responsibility to to take the positional power that we have and the I guess the privileged position that we have and actually undermine it, you know, to to take that system and go, not only will I try and make it equal, but I'm actually gonna try and make it like obviously not what it has been. Mm. Um mm -hmm. and you know, that's one of the things I'm really conscious of with my podcast. You know, a lot of the people I know um, who are doing good stuff are white males because that's, in my life, I've connected with a lot of them. But if you look at my podcast, it's not just all white males on the podcast. Mm, mm -hmm. And that's very deliberate mm. because um, it could easily be. You know, I yeah. could easily do that and people would hear good stories from good people but actually that's not what I'm about. I'm about making sure that other voices get platformed. Um, yeah. So I don't know, that's quite a long answer to your, to your question, but I think, I think society and then religion have a lot of work to do to balance that out. Mm -hmm. I have a couple more questions then um, to unravel that because you you care a lot about diversity, inclusion, you express it, you, sh you share quite openly around how your views and values around certain aspects of the broad spectrum of humanity have changed. So I want to explore with you what does that wrestling in the tension of not allowing, um, of not allowing our pursuit of um, equity equalization, inclusion, diversity to actually become just another colonizing action or behavior. Yeah. 
and I, and it feels very safe to have this conversation with you and because I because I have the advantage of knowing and trusting your perspective and your wrestle in it to then be able to say well let's have a conversation then because one of the things that I see and observe and have felt my own frustration with are the number of people who have even for example um, embraced the rayo and then taken that effortlessly into their expression and their platform mm. and and uh, almost you know uh, proselytized to an extent how we now should embrace or be or behave in our in our broadening embrace and yet I sometimes look at that and go but that's just another that's just another white person now embracing and overtaking and taking up space and in a world that that has so there are so many good things to be said but do they all need to be said and do they all need to be said by by us even if we are having our own growth experience and so you know I wrestle with where do we as people who come from a creator performer broadcaster I'm lumping us into the same categories here, Andy. But, you know, for those of us who come from that as part of our natural practice, whether it's as musicians when we were younger, you know, podcasters and communicators now, how do we do that wrestle without it becoming colonizing, without it becoming diminishing to ourselves, but somehow navigating what is our bigger picture obligation and what is our opportunity to not take up as much space yeah yeah I think for me that's been a big journey of learning to listen well because mm-hmm. um, it's really easy to get in get excited about something that you're learning that's new and then charge off with a still very uninformed view championing what other people should do with that and yet you know, so for example, the real thing, you know, um, Donald and I talked about that on the last episode that, you know, we were two white men having a conversation about learning te reo Māori. And for both of us, it's been a big thing in our lives. But we've both been really conscious of going, actually, this isn't another case of us then needing to be that or needing to take that to make our lives better. This is actually a window into other people's lives and unless we listen and we look and we see all of the good there plus all of the hurt and the pain and what's caused that we're not doing due diligence you know we're not uh, well we are taking you know we're just going in and colonizing again we're going in and taking what's best of that for us and leaving those people with less than they had before Um, and so yeah, I think I think there's a huge responsibility as artists, broadcasters, whatever, to to just do a whole lot more listening than we do speaking. Um, to hear beyond the words, to actually the the heart of what's going on, and um, yeah, like again, like we had a church journey when I was pastoring um, of figuring out how do we as a church, go on this journey of being more tetiriti representative and all that kind of stuff. And yet our total leadership was white. And so then that actually involved 
a lot of consultation and not consultation for the sort of, um, oh, well, we've ticked that box kind of thing. But actually, we we found Māori who, you know, had had some idea of the church situation as well so that um, we could have a proper conversation about, you know, this whole concept. And then we actually listened to their ideas. You know, we we listened to what they had to say and took it seriously. And then over time, because at that stage it was still white people in power talking to Māori people not in power. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's it, it still, there was a, and you can't just dissolve the structure and, and create an entire new one without everything falling apart. So you've got to take time to do it well, but doing it well involves actually listening and bringing people in, you know, having real conversations and then being prepared to follow through on ideas and thoughts that aren't actually your own, that don't even necessarily, you don't, you don't have to necessarily think that's the best idea if if you're coming to it from a point of view of collaboration and, and, you know, working things together because it's not just a case of, well, you know, I know what the best course of action is, but I'm going to go talk to these people just to tick that box and confirm my suspicions. You know, if you go and talk to someone and they come up with something that you hadn't thought of, that could actually be the thing that gets things moving. Um, so, yeah, I think... I don't know, again, it's a very long answer to a to a question, but it's it's a case of humility, you know, recognizing the privilege that that we have been gifted uh, in whatever situation that we're in and using that privilege for the sake of others, not for the sake of ourselves. Where have you done it, do you think, uh, successfully? Where are there moments where you think, yeah, I've navigated that well? There were times, oh, one, one of the times, uh, I was really excited about the Te Reo journey when I was working for the church and I went, we need to make our website represent this bicultural thing. So I started changing, like, um, home, so it said kainga, and, you know, I start doing that and then I went, actually, I need to talk to someone who actually knows the real and, you know, and so I said, hey, can you tell me what words to put on for these things? And they came back and said, whoa, hang on there. Is this just a case of having a website that's designed in a very European, New Zealand way that then has Māori words on it? Or, or is this about designing a website that connects with Te Ao Māori? And, and I went, oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. It, yeah, the former. <laughs> you know, it, it really was just about having some Māori words on the website to show that we were trying. And mm-hmm. so it came from a good place. You know, I, it wasn't like I was trying to colonise or anything. But I had to listen and go, oh, okay this could do more harm than good. You know, this could just be another case of a white church adopting a whole lot of Maori ideas and, and words to look good, um, to look like we've d- actually done more on this journey than we have yet. And so, 
yeah, that that was a and and it was something that actually that website didn't change because they said no, you know, mm. and so um, it was a case of actually down the track there'll be a time on the journey when we've got to a place where actually together we can talk about okay what does our website need to look like, um, yeah, and unfortunately we didn't get there before I stopped working there, um, and it would would have been something I'd like to have seen through, but. Yeah, I think that was a really important case of going, actually, my idea wasn't the right idea. You mm-hmm. know, it, it came from a, a heart of inclusion. It came from wanting to honour people. But actually, I had to listen to what was being said and go, no, okay, I'm not going to do that. I think it's a great example of how complex it can be to navigate the change, yeah. right? As we shift our perspectives, as we are moving and growing, expanding in our understanding. But it's also a great example of how simple it can be. Yeah. Which is, oh, let me step back and ask a, let me ask a question. Let me step back and listen, receive that answer and move accordingly. Mm. And I was really grateful too, because I didn't actually ask the question, hey, is this a good idea? But they still gave me the answer to that question. You know, that mm. that the question I asked was actually a very colonizing question. It was, can you give me the things that I need to make this work how I wanted it to? Mm-hmm. And then they went, actually, this is a relational process, not a transactional process. Mm-hmm. So we just need to hold up. Um, and so to have someone who was prepared to do that was gold, you know. But I think we need to be... That taught me to ask the right questions, I guess. Um, and I don't always get it right, but it, yeah, it, it was a mind shift for me to go, oh, well, actually, am I even asking the right question when I'm going in here? Mm-hmm. I want to dive into that, actually, because one of the things when we were preparing for this uh, takeover, um, how's it going so far? Good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm enjoying that it. One, one of the things that, that we talked about um, were, you know, were in the broad range of things that we could discuss. We could talk about, you know, aspects of um, where you've changed your mind or shifted yeah. on certain views. Um, and, and I think sometimes it's nice to look backwards, but I also think sometimes it is, um, it's more, um, it's more present and more authentic. Um, and creates the opportunity for more curiosity because there can be questions without answers if we talk about what is happening now. And so I would like to ask you the question, um, what are you shifting on now? What are you What are you wrestling with? What are those questions that you are currently asking um, in, the, in the broad forward view of ongoing human development? A lot of it for me does revolve around this idea of inclusion and going, what does inclusion actually look like? Um, does it look like everybody being physically represented in a space? Um, if so, how do we do that? Does it look like everybody being welcome to be in a space? Um, you know, in the church, there's been a lot of talk of inclusion where inclusion looks like everybody's welcome to be here but only some people can lead here and 
you know, I, I guess for me, I've for a long time moved away from that as an idea that I would ever actively speak of. But now I'm at a place going, where is that idea being communicated without words? Um, mm. Where where are the ways that we've set up our systems and our um, our interactions speaking to people uh, in a way that tells them something without speaking it? Uh, and like at the moment, I've I'm just reading, just about finished a book by um, an upcoming um, podcast guest, actually, Dr. Amy Kenny, who's written a book called "My Body Is Not a Prayer Request." Um, and she has a neurological condition that affects her leg um, and therefore is part of the disabled community. And some of the ideas in that around what the environment is saying to her, even when the words aren't saying that, like people are saying, you know, we really care about you. We really want to make this a really inclusive space. Um, and and then she talked about what, well, moving to a new church building where they had a ramp and that was like a major plus but then they decided out of the two doors the main door was going to be the one that didn't have a ramp and so uh there was still a ramp so yeah you can get in but you're not you don't get to come in the main door and the main door was where the teas and coffees were had and mm. you know the the after church conversations were had on those steps Mm. And, you know, so what are we saying by what we're not saying? Um, mm -hmm. And that's my wrestle at the moment is, okay, I I have come to a place of belief about certain things, but what does that look like in actual practice? And where am I behaving in a way that doesn't actually say what I want to be saying? Mm. Um, yeah. Alignment. Right. Yeah. The totally. alignment of yeah. of what is my internal value? How is this expressed mm. in the world around me? Because it's one thing to have a belief that everyone should be the same, should be equal, should be included. It's another to look around and go, but why aren't we? Like mm -hmm. why 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 isn't that how things are? And what are the things that I'm participating in that are keeping that going? Mm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm sitting at the moment. That's quite a broad subject. What about the answers to those questions, uh, pricks on the inside? Yeah, I think we've done a lot of work with our business specifically around the LGBTQ plus community and the mental health kind of area to figure out okay, yes, we support a couple of organisations by giving them money each quarter. But what does our interaction look like beyond that? Because, yes, it's good to give money, but actually if we're giving money and then our business still looks like two white straight people just getting on with business, but doesn't actually have any sort of actual inclusion what does that say? Again, what is that saying to people? And, you know, we're not at the stage yet where we can employ people. Um, but we've talked about, you know, what are some avenues of engaging with those kind of communities when we do get to a stage of employing people? 
um, mm-hmm. so that it's not necessarily just throwing out an ad into the stratosphere and then get taking the best applicant, but maybe approaching the rainbow communities in Christchurch and saying, hey, have you got any you know students around that would like a job? Yeah, I guess from a real practical point of view, it's those kind of things that keep pricking at me of going, okay, we are doing a business. How does that business reflect our values and and our views on things? Um, you know, I'm doing this podcast. How does that visibly look? You know, I say I'm into inclusion. I say I'm, um, I want to include disabled people. I want to include LGBTQ people. I want to include people of color. Mm-hmm. I want to include women. How are you going to interview a deaf person? Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> but also the the thing that's really getting to me recently is I've realized that most of the Māori people I've had on this podcast, I've had on to talk about Māori-Pākehā relations. Mm. But actually there are a whole lot of Māori doing things that have nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. There are Māori business people doing good in the world and it's not about learning te reo or, you know, that kind of thing. So that's something that, like again, has just been nagging at me going, actually, I need to find those people how do we escape the reductionism, right? That's yeah, really, totally. That's really the wrestle. How do we escape reductionism where everything becomes oversimplified and how do we learn to dance in complexity? Totally, yeah. And so same with, with disability. You know, I've I've had some really great conversations about disability and I'm going to have another one soon with people who are disabled. But I don't just want people who are disabled to be able to come on the podcast when they're going to talk about disability. Mm. You know, that actually, um, and actually there are a couple of guests I've had who nobody would know are disabled because that's not what we talked about. And that's what I love, you know, that that's what is pricking at me going, we're more of those kind of conversations where actually I'm not getting them on to educate me as a, an able-bodied person or as a white person or as a whatever. I'm actually getting them on just because they're an amazing person doing good in the world you know, it, those kind of things. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the expression of your mahi uh, most recently in the book. Yeah. And how these threads yeah. weave through and create or influence the way that the work you are creating comes together. Yeah. Um, so for those who don't know, I have written a um, illustrated children's book. Uh, for Etu Tangata. And so I interviewed Jay Geldard, who heads that up, and their they're kind of three strands that they push in trying to tackle tall poppy syndrome and reduce the suicide rate and all that kind of stuff in New Zealand is you have value, we succeed together, and others matter. And I just, for me, those three things went, yes, that's what you are about. You know, um when you know we've been talking about this inclusion thing you know that's because i've got a belief that others matter um we've we've talked about um the not the finding yourself thing but actually learning to create and be yourself and um and so that idea of learning that actually you have value has been a huge part of of my journey you know from someone who got bullied a lot at school and you know, coming to the end of my high school years, I would go op shopping, not so that I could find cool clothes, 
for cheap. But, and I didn't realize I was doing this at the time, but essentially what I was doing was buying hideous clothes so that people would reject me before they got to know me. And it was a, it was a coping mechanism. You know, it was a, it was a way of, I guess, devaluing myself so that it wouldn't hurt if someone else devalued me. Uh, And so learning that actually who I am is okay, you know, not having to try and be someone else that actually I have value just because I'm me. That's been a huge part of my journey. Um, and then the, the We Succeed Together thing is something that has just come out over and over again. And, and particularly in these, like we've just been talking about with the the disabilities or the um, cultural stuff, of actually just recognising how much you don't know, how much you have a particular experience of life and it's not everyone's experience. Mm. And by listening to other people's experiences and by working together with them, you can create something way more beautiful than um, than just what it is that, that you could do on your own. Mm. And actually, th- what's been really fascinating for me is looking at the the book coming together and seeing that these three things outworked. You know, that actually, I I met Jay for the first time when I interviewed him. And that night I messaged him and said, have you ever thought of doing an illustrated kids book? And he was really excited by the idea and it kind of went from there. But if I'd been someone who didn't believe that I had value, where my value rested on whether he said yes or no, I would never have put that out there. And so it's learning that actually I'm okay no matter how many rejections I get or you know all of that kind of stuff that... You know, if you're a creative person putting things out there, you're going to have rejections. Mm. And it's learning that actually those don't define who you are, that actually you have value just because you're you. Um, so we had that. And then, I mean, the whole thing of we succeed together, you know, I, I've provided the words and some of the concepts, but actually the overall concept came from their co-papa anyway. And then, you know, I don't have the illustration skills and I didn't have the finance to put into getting it printed and you know so it's been a real team effort and uh Andy Knopp who did the illustrations has just done an outstanding job of taking the heart of what we were talking about and then representing that in picture form um and again like he's done a great job of of that representation of Mm. we wanted any kid in New Zealand to pick this up and go hey I'm in this you know in some way this is something that represents me. And so, I mean, typically, a lot of the kids' books are very monocultural, very white, unless someone specifically said about doing something that's not that. And so we went, actually, we want this to tell a different story. Um, so there's difference of religion represented. Um, one of the main characters is a Muslim girl. Um, and... Again, we're a bunch of not Muslim people. So Christy from Etu Tangata took it to a, a Muslim lady that she knew and together they took that to a local imam and then we listened to their feedback. And we're really glad we did that because we've got a page that's got a whole lot of got this this Muslim girl saying hello in a whole lot of languages and we missed Arabic. Mm. Um and they pointed that out and we went, Oh my goodness, we are so glad we talked to you. Um, cause again, that would have been good intentions and poor execution. Mm. Um, you know, same with the disability thing. 
um, we've got a, a main character who is disabled. And yet one of the bits of feedback I got when I, I went and talked to a couple of disabled people about it was they really liked that you couldn't tell the person was disabled from the words of the story. Mm. That actually, you know, there's a um, there's a line that says, if you love to play sport or are great on guitar, none of that changes how special you are. Mm. And the picture is like this little band and the boy playing guitar is in a wheelchair, which has, you know, no influence on his ability to play guitar. And then later on, we've got a bit about, you know, that actually you can help other people. And that boy then is teaching guitar to another kid. And, you know, that idea of actually stereotypically disabled people are the people that need the help. But actually this boy's giving the help. Um, and, you know, those kind of things that came through in the illustrations because we really had this heart of working together and that others matter and that we wanted to display that in the book. So, yeah, I'm really proud of where we've ended up with it. Um, and it is, I mean, it's just, it's a culmination of my journey thus far, you know, of all my my rapping, my poetry, my all of that has, has given me the skill set to do it. But actually all of my learning, all of my shifting ideas, all of my listening to those who aren't like me has all poured into this as well. And it's, um, yeah, it's just something I'm really proud of. It's a long leap forward from the kid who bought ugly clothes at the op shop yeah. in anticipation of being rejected yeah. to then meet someone and approach them with an idea um, yeah. to say, hey, why don't we give this a go? Um, what what needed to what needed to grow or to evolve mm. in you for you to be able to um, seek the opportunity, but also be ready when the opportunity came around? Yeah, I think um, a couple of things. One, I needed some some healing. Um, there had been some trauma that had occurred as a kid, uh, and you know, then that combined with some bullying and, and a bunch of other things had led me to a place where actually I really devalued myself. Um, and it, it was, I mean, it's been, I don't know, another 20 something years of process of letting go of some of that hurt or processing some of that hurt to understand what happened and why. And, um, and that actually some of the things that had subconsciously been telling me one narrative about my value actually didn't hold any weight. You know, that so there was, there's that kind of side of things that involve counselling, that involve medication, you know, so so there's some quite deep stuff on that side of things. There's also the the thing one of one of my previous guests, Joel McCaro, talks about being prepared to be lucky. And what he means by that is if you've got this inkling in you um, to do something, then you work on that to the point where actually if the opportunity arises, you're ready to go for that. Um, and that's something that I learned way back before calling Elijah, you know, before um, I started out on this rap thing where I'd kind of bumped into the fact that I enjoyed rapping when I was at performing art school and then I spent three years sitting around going man I'd really love to do that and then I found 
myself three years later still not doing it, but I'd never written anything and I never, you know, and so then I went, ah, well, maybe I should actually write something. And so I wrote something and within one week I was given an opportunity to perform that. I was like, oh, okay, well, this is a thing, you know, Um, and so you know, it wasn't instantly that I suddenly got it, but it did start that process of going, actually, if there are things in you, if there are skills that you have and passions that you have, unless you pick up and run with them, they're just going to sit there. Um, and so when it came to this writing this book, the, the starting place was actually that I'm the board chair at school, uh, at my girl's school, and... I didn't want to do a boring end of year speech. So I did my end of year speech as a a story about the school mascot and all the things that this wicker had done during the year. Uh, and it was photos of the kids with Wonder Wicker superimposed on the photos. Uh, and it was just a little rhyming story and it went down really well. And so I'd done that. And then I was that Christmas, I was, so this is Christmas 2020. Then I, I was reading Cora out, uh, now four-year-old a story at night time and it was really rubbish and I was like man I could do better than this and suddenly something in me just went click and I and it sat there you know you have these fleeting ideas and then they disappear and then there's these other ones that just have a bit more weight to them and just sit there and some people might call that you know a god moment or a divine moment um, others you know would have other language around that but it's something that just sits with you and you know you hold that and realized actually there might be something here. And so what I then did was actually go and enroll in a creative writing course, um, going, oh, you know, where could this go? I don't know much about writing a book. Um, I've done lots of writing poems and stuff, but, you know, what does this look like in practice? And so I did this creative writing course, enrolled in a creative vocation course, and I was two-thirds of the way through the creative vocation course, and so it was on my mind when I then bumped into Jay. And then that night was reading Cora another story and it, again it was just like this moment of ah oh, maybe this is the opportunity you know and so um, that gave me the confidence to approach him because a I'd done a whole lot of work on myself to actually believe that I was valuable no matter what and secondly I'd had this thing that I'd been dreaming about and working towards and then suddenly put two and two together and went, this this could be it. Now, it might not have been it, but at least mm. I would have, at least asking him, and if he'd said no, I would have known that, and I would have looked it for it somewhere else. But it turned out that it, it was it, and we've worked together, and we've come up with this thing that actually, you know, they're buzzing about, and I'm buzzing about, and, you know, it's going to get out to schools all all through the country, through Etutangta. Um, You know, there's someone who has bought a thousand to give free to schools through the country. And, you know, I'm just going, wow, this is something that I, it's beyond what I dreamed of when I had this idea of writing a book. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's come from that that kid who chose to be rejected, you know, to live in that identity of rejection, who has then figured out through life that that doesn't have to be the reality. Yeah. Mm. In a year's time, when your next takeover guest is sitting in the hot seat in the way I am now, um, what do you imagine, and using that word very specifically, what do you imagine 
they may be asking you based on your hopes for the next 12 months. It's interesting, actually, because looking back on the last one, I talked about, you know, wanting to turn down-to-earth conversations into something that had some events and things like that. And then, of course, COVID hit and events haven't really been a thing. So, you know, but but at the same time, that's still given me things to dream about. So um, that's still in the back of my mind that I'd like to to host some live events, um, interviewing people and having more Q&A type stuff with audience participation. Yeah, I, I've got dreams of having another book out. Whether that's something I do on my own or whether that's something that I partner with a different organisation or, you know, I, I really love having partnered with an organisation to do it. So, yeah, if you're listening to this and you're, you know, you've got a an organisation that's doing good in the world and you think a kid's story would be a good way to get the message out, then by all means con- connect with me because I, I don't think this one project was it. You know, I think this was a, a stepping stone for me. Um, it's a way of, of my name getting out there to be more um, welcomed when it comes to writing future books. Uh, and I feel like I've got more stories to tell. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, here's to you uh, expressing and using and choosing to use your platform with uh, wisdom and invitation. May you take us all with you (laughs) on the journey. And um, yeah, here's to more books. That's one of the things I appreciate about, uh, I think there are two things that give us invitation in the world to be anything and anyone we want. Um, The first is curiosity and the second is believing in a pragmatic practical creativity yeah so if you if you are able to embrace that as human beings we have an ability to create to whether that's through artistic expression or um, through pragmatic expression but the the pragmatic reality of creating things and then curiosity about what can be made and I think then some of what becomes so fascinating and so interesting is how um uh a rapper can become a poet, can become a writer, can become a pastor, can become a book author, can, you know, and on and on and on and on it goes. Yeah. Which is a great illustration to me, I think, of of the long creative process of, you know, human beings evolving. Yeah. You know, everything moves and changes and evolves. And um, one thing I've I've really enjoyed is learning to go with that and to see where that's going and to find the good in whatever's happening and to recognize the bad as well but to let some of that just fall off and and chase after what the good things that are happening and see where I can partner with good and beauty in the world yeah Tash, it was a real privilege to hand you control of the mic today. Thanks so much for taking over the episode and for guiding such a beautiful and rich kōrero. Here is a blessing for you. Tash, as you continue to transform the spaces that you occupy, 
and to help others to do the same. May you also be transformed as every bit of goodness you throw out into the world is returned to you in good measure. On the back of your many years of hard work, may opportunities continue to come your way. Opportunities that excite you, stretch you, grow you and fill your cup. May you never stop being curious, asking questions of life, of others and of yourself, and in doing so drawing out the good in the world for the sake of yourself and those around you. May you know that you make a difference, but that even if you didn't, you are still a person of extreme value. And finally, may you know you are seen, you are heard, and you are loved. Thanks to Strawn for the music and Rangi for the karakia. Join me next time when I talk to Dr. Amy Kenny about disability justice and the church. Discussing themes from her book, My Body is Not a Prayer Request, Amy shares about her life as a disabled woman, particularly in relation to the church and people of faith. Does she need healing, and from what? What do our spaces say about our theology and our value of others? Why is she encountering Jesus outside of the church more than within it? The implications of this conversation are huge, and I'm still processing much of what we talked about and much of what I read about in her book. You won't want to miss it. Until then, me inoi tātou. E tō mātou matua i te rangi, kia tapu tō ingoa, kia tau mai tō rangatiratanga, kia mea te tau e pai ai ki runga ki te whenua, kia rite anō ki tō te rangi. Humai kia mātou ai nei, e taroma mātou mō tēnei rā, Muro mātou hara, me mātou hoki e muru nei i o te hunga e hara ana kia mātou Aua hoki mātou e kawea kia whakawaia E ngari whakorangia mātou i 